Welcome to Self Love Saturday, where loving ourselves is an act of rebellion. This is your host, Dr. Anissa Shomo, everyone's favorite family medicine physician. And we have a great special guest today, attorney Sandra Carillo, one of my fraternity sisters working in Columbus, Ohio. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me and for thinking of uh, inviting me. I'm excited to be here. No problem. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So um, I am an attorney. I'm based out of Columbus. I have a general practice, so I handle a little bit of everything. Uh, but I will say that a majority of the case load that I have is in the family law area. So divorces, dissolutions, custody, child support, you know, post-decree matters where uh, parents are coming back to the court to change their parenting plans or custody and that kind of thing. Okay. So that'll make for a great discussion today because I want to talk a lot about families and just what women go through in relationships and that sort of thing. And that's why I invited you here today. And I want to kind of give a context for, you know, these conversations. I'm writing a new book called The Love Rebellion. And it's really just about trying to move beyond women being seen as, you know, basically being seen but not heard. I feel like there's a lot of conversations that we don't have as women because a lot of times it's been just focusing on our, our appearance and mm -hmm. looking good and all this sort of stuff. But I just really want to go beyond the surface and talk about some of the things that we really deal with as women. Um, because I can tell you, there's so much that I deal with as a woman that most people never know because they never ask about and they ne we never had a conversation about it. So I hope we have a really great discussion today about just some of the family law issues that women deal with um, on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. So I want to start out by asking you about um, just one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of the relationships that I, you know, I have a lot of friends, I have a lot of friends who are women, and I'm actually was raised in a family with like eight women. So there's eight girls and I have one brother. And I just have seen my sisters go through so much in their relationships and my mother as well. And it really, I feel like, guided how I chose my husband um, and just even the relationship that we have with trying to always keep um, keep our values, you know, at the top of, of, of our relationship and to try mm -hmm. to communicate well and all that sort of thing. So what do you find is one of the biggest reasons why a lot of the relationships that you are trying to mediate is ending? Oftentimes I find that it's um, a communication issue or maybe like an understanding or comprehension issue between the parties because um, oftentimes um, there's differing viewpoints uh, between the parties. So, often, you know, if they have kids, it's related to kids. Sometimes it's related to like household responsibilities or the finances and that kind of thing. Um, and oftentimes uh, these parties are talking at each other, not with each other. And, right. and, and that is often off reflected in the divorce process or in any like court proceeding because um, their inability to um, kind of reach a resolution or come to a, a point where they're, they're thinking about either the kids or what's the next steps and that kind of thing. Um, so I think that that is often times one of the biggest things that comes in between the parties um and yeah, it's, it's just, hard yeah yeah it's really hard trying to get on the same page and that's mm -hmm. I feel like my parents were married for 20 20 some years and then they ended up getting divorced because I just felt like they just couldn't get on the same page and they could have went about a little bit more mature for how mm -hmm. it ended but it was just kind of really abrupt and really kind of childish the way that it ended and that's one of the biggest things for me you know you see people in their upper 30s and 40s who are still not able to figure out how to have a mature con like conversation without mm -hmm. it being a screaming match and without it being um, like trying to belittle each other. I feel like sometimes mm -hmm. there's just a lot of power struggle that goes in a lot of relationships. And I felt like it was that way with my parents' marriage. And I see that a lot with my siblings as well have been in those power struggle combative 
relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that what you see a lot of in the courts as well? Mm-hmm. It's often reflective in the, in the court process. And I think oftentimes it comes from the fact that we don't always have um, like a good example you know, we either grew up without a good example of a good marriage or a good relationship and, um, or even just good communication. Um, Oftentimes, um, you know, the statistics on broken families, you know, it's, it's high. It affects a lot of different areas of like educational, medical, and all sorts of health issues. And so um, I think that the family dynamics is no different. And so oftentimes those power struggles are there. And I think it takes, um, you know, someone either realizing it and going to therapy, getting the help that they need to be able to um, obtain those skills, I would say that they did not have, or they weren't taught or weren't able to um, see growing up uh, so that they can um, better communicate and kind of address issues without it being that kind of Um, you know, screaming match or letting emotions take over uh, so completely. Right. And I felt like, um, so, you know, you know, my husband, because we've been together since college. (laughs) But that was, I mean, I felt like for me, it was something that I even had to learn in our relationship, because I felt like I did have a bad example of that in my family. And I would try to control my husband a lot when I first met him and be manipulative. Um, But I had to learn, but I felt like he, I don't know if he had that same kind of thing happen in his home, but he knew like how to redirect me. And as I got a little bit older and just more chilled out and as an older person, I feel like part of it is like adolescence too, like just being like not having your brain be fully developed. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I was young, I was just kind of a little bit more drama than I am now. Um, But I was happy that he, he was that way where he would just wouldn't respond. He'd be like, you know, you need to chill out. Um, so just having, for whatever reason, I mean, neither one of us knew at that time he was going to be a psychiatrist, you know, <laughs> but I can see now like how he is a psychiatrist because he was just very calm. Like he would be like, you know, and I remember when we were young, what we would do often was communicate in writing so we could really um, be on the same page and get our thoughts out without interrupting each other and all of that sort of thing. And so I think that you can learn those behave those skills if you're willing to, but I think that a lot of times people really let their ego um, take over. And it's not necessarily even the ego, it's just it's just an example that they have, like they've never experienced that. So I didn't have that, that I didn't have that example either, but my husband just being able to, to show me a different way made me learn like how to be better at communication and how to communicate how I was feeling without, you know, going to that controlling power struggle situation because that's what I was raised seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say the same for me. I mean, uh, Wilbur is very, Wilbur's my husband and he is somewhat the opposite of me. And so he's very calm and collected, not confrontational. And so, um, you know, early on, just trying to address issues that were coming up between us. Um, you know, I was always very direct and, you know, I grew up in a household where uh, there was a lot of screaming and there was a lot of, you know, we would yell at each other and that's, that was pretty normal for us. And that's not the household he was raised in. And so it was a lot of adjustment and kind of um, finding a way to cope with each other. And then even now um, it's, you know, our disagreements or whatever conversations we need to have are in a better, you know, um, better circumstances, I would say, because, you know, I know how he is, he knows how I am. and, And we definitely have learned skills to be able to um, address each other appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that probably for a lot of people, a lot of, it seems like a lot of people when they have kids, a lot of times the relationships change because I'm sure that they're just sleep deprived and tired. Like I remember being in residency and being so tired and sleep deprived and just irritable. Like I can look back on that time. So I don't have children, but because part of the reason why I don't have children is because when I was a resident, we had to sometimes work like a hundred hours, you know? <laughs> so I was just like, I don't know how people work a hundred hours and have children. Like, I don't know how they do it, but they do. Um, but I was just so tired and irritable 
often. So I can see how that could play a role in how, you know, people may communicate. And then sometimes even a lot of the hormone changes you experience having children and that sort of thing as well. Um, well, I, I will share that. I, so I went to therapy uh, for a little while. And one of the things that, um, you know, cause it was like in conversation in terms of um, my relationship and what plans that if we had any plans for kids and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've always been kind of like, you know, if it happens great, if not, then that's okay. Um, but the therapist had mentioned that, you know, just one thing she was saying, that it was good that I was going to therapy and, you know, addressing issues because she was saying that I guess children bring up a lot of our big trigger points for people. And, mm-hmm. um, as you're, you know, I guess, raising your own kids, you kind of remember things from your own adolescence or from your, from your childhood and the way things were and how things were done. And it create, I, I can imagine that it creates a lot of issues in marriages in and of itself, just because, you know, everyone doesn't grow up the same so right right and it's a lot of trauma and that's really what my my first book really focused on and my um my first you know podcast series was just trying to deal with some of that trauma and therapy is a really great way to to like pinpoint a lot of that um a lot of times people journal there's all types of ways people can really have that insight um, but for me, I just knew, I just knew that it wasn't right as a young person. Like a lot of the stuff that I saw my parents go through, I just knew that it wasn't right and that I had to do something different. Um, and so that's for me, like why I liked my husband. I was like, oh, he's different than, than most men I've ever met. And he also, um, he reminded me a lot of my father. And so he reminded me a lot of my father that we had really good conversations. And that's the biggest thing for me is like, even though my parents didn't have the best relationship, I actually had a really good relationship with my dad. Um, and so he reminds me of the friendship that my father and I have. So that was one of the biggest things that, you know, has kept our marriage together is just that that foundation of friendship. And then also, like I said, the fact that he really didn't care about trying to control or manipulate me. And if he recognized that I was trying to do that, he would be like, that's not right. And you shouldn't do that. You know? So I think, and he could, he could call me out on it. Like you need to calm down. You're going to be fine. So I think that for me, I just knew a lot of, a lot of what I saw growing up wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And I think that sometimes people don't recognize that and, um, and therapy can be helpful for trying to, trying to figure out how to break those cycles and those patterns. If you have a hard time really recognizing what it, what was it about your childhood that you didn't like? Mm-hmm. yeah well that's really great that you all went to therapy and worked on it for us we just were really busy um <laughs> but I, I mean for me I really had a I have a lot of I have a lot of really great like one of my sisters ended up going into um into family medicine um well she started out my sister Kay started out as a geriatric nurse practitioner and then now she's actually in um she's working as a psychiatry nurse practitioner so she's always somewhat been like we've all we've the two of us together have been each other's therapists like forever like we both are mm-hmm. people who can help each other like see things like we we vent to each other and then we also can be like hey you know you really shouldn't do that you might you know be able to give each other feedback right. like a therapist does so <laughs> I've always had that person in my life who could you know call me out if I was doing something I shouldn't be doing or encourage me if I was, you know, just there to listen um, mm-hmm. and really encourage me. Like if, if something I felt like wasn't right, say like, you know what, that isn't right. And you should address that and that sort of thing. So I'm just really grateful to have that sisterhood. And I really am grateful for, you know, all the friends that I've had as well, because <clears throat> having a lot of sisters is interesting because I have some sisters who don't necessarily know how to treat each other like sisters you know, like kind of that um, competitive cattiness. Mm -hmm. But for me, I try to stay away from those sisters and stay more with the sisters, my older sisters, especially who have been more like mentors Mm -hmm. and just recognize that that is the vibe that I like. And so for me, understanding that just because your sisters are your sisters doesn't necessarily mean that the things, the way they treat you Mm -hmm. is the way that you need to be treated. Um, and so like one of my friends recently was like, how do you like, how do you deal with those sisters, the other sisters? And I was like, because I have other sisters who are not that way. So I know that it's not me. You know, <laughs> I, know 
not me and I know how the relationship could be if you have somebody you can be on the same page with. And it right. goes the same with like your family, your relationships, your friendships, like it should really be a therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and those relationships, all those relationships take, uh, take work, you know, it, it takes effort on both sides. Um, I, my husband and I were just having this conversation, I think the other day about, it doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is, all the different type of familial relationship, husband, wife, um, you know, or romantic relationship or just a friendship. Um, you know, they all take effort. They all from both sides and one person can't carry it completely. Right. And, uh, sometimes I think that, uh, people in marriages sometimes forget about that. Uh, they come become so lenient on, well, not lenient, but they, become, they, um, lean so much on their partner, uh, for everything, uh, that it, it starts to become a burden and it becomes an issue. And, unfortunately leads to, um, you know, one partner wanting out of the relationship. Right. Like basically being burned out on a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, so I have a couple of sisters who are separated from their husbands right now. And I think that that's how they were feeling. They were feeling like very one-sided in their marriage. Um, and that they felt like they had to do everything and they had to, and I think a lot of it too, is they felt like they had to be responsible for the emotions of their partner mm. which is one of those things that I always say like you your partner is not responsible for your happiness like right. you can figure out how to generate your happiness they should support you in your happiness they can they should be your companion your confidant but they should not be solely responsible for your happiness mm. and um I don't know for me I was Um, So, you know, we prepped a little bit before we started, but I was saying that in those particular sisters, it seems like their, their husbands seem to really not know how to be a husband, like how to be supportive, how to be a partner. um, And just that emotional intelligence that it takes to be able to be that, to have that 50, 50 partnership, Mm -hmm. because it seemed like they, um, so one of the things that that I've observed about a lot of women in their marriages it's just kind of their relationship with their father. Um, so those particular sisters, their husbands really doesn't have that much of a relationship with their father. And I feel like they were kind of emulating like what they what they thought a man should do and what a husband should do based on a lot of like media influences. Mm-hmm. And I, it feels like that way with a lot of women, like there's, there's this lack of emotional intelligence that, that women um, can feel in their marriages. And that the term is like, they are emotionally unavailable and mm-hmm. so they're trying to you know confide in them partner with them um put the put that investment into that therapeutic relationship but they're getting nothing back from it mm-hmm. yeah and unfortunately um you know that happens in a lot of relationships and and i don't know that i think sometimes those individuals that I guess either aren't emotionally intelligent or aren't, uh, emotionally available, um, don't sometimes don't realize it and don't know how to, um, connect with their partners on that level. Um, and, and it's tough, uh, because sometimes I think that, I mean, I've seen it in, in, in the divorces that I've handled, uh, there are, um, you know, individuals, um, who, I think both of them are good individuals, you know, they both have good qualities and, and, and they come across as though they get along well, but for whatever reason, they just, it's not meshing and there's something missing there. And I think that it's related to the fact that that emotional intelligence, that connection there is, it, it's missing and right. they don't know how to get it. Yeah. Like that disconnect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that for, for me, I'm just grateful that my husband, he grew up, he grew up playing football and that sort of stuff and learned about, you know, some of that masculine culture, but at home, his father was in the army and talked about, and talks, his father is very nurturing. Um, He cooks, Mm -hmm. he cleans, he takes care of the children. Like he was the example of a stay-at-home father back in the day before there were really stay-at-home fathers. Like we were born in the Mm eighties. And back then there were not very, very many um, stay-at-home fathers. So I'm really grateful that my husband was basically raised that men have feelings and have needs just like women do. 
And so it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to, and of course, like his father raised him to treat women with respect as well. Like he's just, especially growing up in a lot of white spaces like West Virginia and Circleville, Ohio, you know, he was just like, hey, you know, you're a black man and you have to be careful um, how you're perceived by people. You have to make sure that you're in tune with the situation around you, that you don't misread situations, that you ask a lot of questions and, and verify you know, the information that you have around you because you don't want to end up in jail. Like his father is from Virginia. And he's just like, you know, it can be unsafe for a black man to misinterpret those feelings. So you have to learn how to survive um, by making sure that you communicate like, hey, this seems like this date might be going well. Is it going well? You know, <laughs> I'm really happy that his father had those conversations with him because mm -hmm. I definitely noticed that difference when I was dating him. Like he never really assumed um, anything. Like it took mm -hmm. us a long time to actually date because he never assumed that I liked him. He never like was just that forward of like, oh, she really likes me. Let me do this or let me do that. He was very just like patient, let me, you know, let me tread lightly. I don't want to misinterpret things, that sort of thing. So you can definitely tell the fathers who, well, for me, it's one thing to have your father around even. It's a whole other thing to have a father who's having good conversations with you about like how to treat women and showing you an example of right. being a self-sufficient man who doesn't really need a woman. Like you don't need a woman. You can do cook yourself. You can clean yourself. Yeah. If you are going to be in a marriage with a man or a woman, then it should be about that communication in our relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, going back to the fact that you mentioned that he kind of, your, you know, uh, Robert worked on, on, on a, I guess, assumption to not assume anything. I think yeah. that is very key. And I think that is important for everyone, like us as women, um, as individuals, um, and then as people in marriages, um, I was actually just telling my husband this the other day that um, I think that it's important uh, to check in because he because I always check in with him, not like every day, but I do on occasion like, you know, I do like, hey, are you happy? You know, is this are things going well? Like, is this is this what you want or, you know, is there something we could be doing different? And he he pointed out the other day that I do these check-ins and I, and I told him that, yeah, I do those because I think it's important that we have that communication. And, um, I think that it's very risky to make assumptions of someone else's happiness, um, right. or someone else's well-being because, um, you know, I think that's a trap for a lot of people, a lot of couples, um, in relationships that they just assume that the other person is happy or is satisfied or, um, and, and there could be something there that for whatever reason, uh, the opportunity for that conversation hasn't come up. And I think that, um, even just for us as individuals, it's important to check in with ourselves about our, you know, careers, our, you know, home life and like mm -hmm. our social life, you know, is everything okay? Because sometimes, it's not. And sometimes it's a matter of, you know, making those decisions that I need to change career paths or I need a change in my career or, you know, I'm, my friends aren't really supportive or aren't really that great. So maybe I should find new friends or, you know, my relationship isn't really filling me or isn't, or, you know, isn't the healthiest and maybe I should, you know, at least cut ties off now and, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it's important to have those check-ins. Yeah, we do that. We do it on a regular basis, mostly about, mostly about a lot of things, but I will say that, so I'm writing my book right now and I kind of talk about, there was a time in my marriage that I felt really lonely and it was because my husband was in residency. And I think that, you know, as, some, as people who work a lot, there can be those times where you do not have enough time to have those check-ins. And so when he was in residency, it was kind of hard because um, it was just hard to get on the same page because it's not something that either of us have control over. Right. And so I was just really happy when he got out of residency because our relationship was completely different after he got out of residency versus, and we've been together for a long time. So at least I knew while we were residency, while he was in residency, especially that this wasn't going to last forever, mm -hmm. but you just never know. Like you just, I was just 
feeling very lonely because he was never home. And you're like, is this is how is this how it's going to be always, or is this a temporary moment? And so I just I went through a lot during that, and tried to communicate as much with him as I could. But it was also frustrating for him because he's just like, I don't know what you want me to do about this. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> like I gotta, There's, I gotta, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have to do this. There's only so much I can control here. <laughs> right. So for me, I just had to cope a lot with that time when he was in residency. And that's when I actually was part of Black Girls Run a lot. I used to, you know, that's when I started travel racing and doing all types of stuff to kind of cope with that time. But it still was just a really rough patch in our marriage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and rough patches happen. I think the important thing is um, trying to communicate about it, um, you know, be on, being on the same page and finding those different outlets. Um, because I could only imagine if you hadn't found, you know, your Black Girls Run group or, you know, other outlets, then I, I don't know that it would have been very healthy for you or good for the marriage at all. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, I know a lot of people do all types of stuff, like go to the club and <laughs> do all types of things. But I was like, I'm too old for that life. And, you know, I would rather be working on my my health and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, and I worked a lot too. So, but I, but I was an attending and I had control over my schedule and often over how much I worked. So it was just a, it was just a, a point where we really just weren't on the same page. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I was hopeful that we could get on the same page at some point. And we did, when he graduated residency, we did definitely get on the same page. And literally the year that he got done with residency was the year that I got diagnosed with cervical cancer and stopped working as much. Um, so I'm happy that you know, that we had those exchanges and tried to get on the same page and really just tried to communicate even when times were hard. Like, you know, this is a hard time and I cannot wait for when times would be less hard. But then of course, getting diagnosed with cancer was hard as well. So it was just one of those moments that, um, you know, you have your ups and, and downs in your marriage, but definitely communicating with each other and also just finding ways to cope with hard times is important too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is indeed and and I'm so glad that you had Robert with you during that time and you know um it, it's it's important to have a good um good foundation a good um solid uh network and group of people that will support you through those difficult times because there's yeah. a lot of people that'll be around for the good times but it's tough to find those people that'll stick it through with the right. bad times yeah yeah so all right. Well, speaking of uh, bad times, <laughs> I want to kind of transition into something different because before we were doing a little prep for this, we talked about um, kind of like relationships gone bad as well. Like when people are getting to the point where that controlling and manipulation is moving beyond just yelling and screaming to actual like stalking and physical abuse and that sort of thing. And I feel like even in our workplaces, sometimes that can happen. It can be a very, um, you know, it can be scary as a woman at times in a workplace when you have people who are fixated on you. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it does happen uh, a lot. And us as professionals or just women in the workplace, I think it's, it's often, it can be scary. I know often I do uh, consults in the evenings, like late evenings. Um, and uh, sometimes if, you know, my husband is home, I'll ask him to like take me to the office and, you know, wait for me because you just never know. And it, it, you know, we have to take precautions and, um, I, as attorney, I guess I'm always thinking about what could be or what could go wrong. And so I'm always, you know, thinking about having those safeguards in place to avoid those situations. But um, in the legal setting, I mean, there are tons of women who either become victims of some kind of domestic violence or um, even stalking. And the best thing I can recommend is that um, you get it documented, right? Anything that happens, um, you know, report it to the police, get your uh, um, police report, have some kind of evidence, video evidence, whatever it is that you can get about what is going on um, will be helpful because um, especially with like 
uh, protection orders because sometimes stocking gets so bad and things get so bad that you need court intervention um, and you need someone to tell this other person you can't do that, right? And if you do that, there will be repercussions. Um, but oftentimes protection orders are hard to come by. Um, you know, at least here in Ohio, there needs to be a pattern of that behavior, of stalking behavior or, you know, dangerous behavior that makes you at risk. And so um, that means two or more events, right? And, um, it, and, and sometimes people are, you know, I've consulted with individuals who are in this bad situation, but they've never contacted the police uh, when things happen. They never reported it at work when the incidences were going on. And it's just, it, it makes it harder um, to prove um, in criminal court or harder to obtain a protection order if it's needed. Yeah. And so what if, I had a, a patient, uh, I, I have at times, so people often will say, oh, Dr. Shomo, you're so pretty, which is often like, that is inappropriate. You shouldn't be commenting mm -hmm. on my appearance as a professional relationship. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's one thing if your colleagues or your staff are like, oh, I like your hair like that, or I like that dress. Even mm -hmm. patients, when they say specific things like that's a nice dress or something like that, that's, you know, that's what I tell people when they are like wanting to be complimentary, like make it something specific. Don't just comment on like, oh, you're, you know, like don't make it general. Mm -hmm. But, I have had times when people have just been just really inappropriate. And so I mentor um, residents and medical students just about like how to respond to, you know, these are considered microaggressions against women, but sometimes it can go beyond a microaggression into an actual like concern for your safety. So mm -hmm. that would be considered a macroaggression when you are, you know, possibly breaking the law or it's becoming sexual harassment, then that goes into a different category. But um, so, you know, if somebody, uh, I, so there's a lot of different ways you can respond to microaggressions, but often, you know, it's hard because like a lot of older men, like that's just what they're used to doing. So for me, it just depends on how much energy it's going to take to educate this older adult. <laughs> Why that's not appropriate, you know? Right. <laughs> so often I'll just be like, okay, have a nice day. But sometimes like I had a patient who was just talking about me in front of me in a very sexual way. Like, oh, mm -hmm. I tell all of my patients that you're so hot. And I'm like, please do not talk about me in that way. Right. And then he yeah. also was just like, he said something like, I know you want me. And I was like, I do not want you. Um, and I did not, like, I talked to my medical director about it. I'm like, if he continues with this, I'm going to have to fire him as a patient. Um, mm -hmm. And so I ended up leaving that office and telling my whole office not to let, tell him where I was. But before I left, he came to my office and was like yelling my name. Um, and I was like, I closed all the doors. It was like, do not tell him I'm here. Right. Um, and he gave me like a card, like a Christmas card with his picture in it. Wow. Um, which I actually didn't see until recently. But, you know, it didn't get to the point where I did have to get the police involved because like I said, I, was, I told him, you know, do not talk about me in that way. I'm not mm -hmm. interested in dating you. Mm -hmm. um, and then I didn't see him ever again. But um, it was one of the things my husband and I were talking about, just, you know, all the stuff that we deal with as women, like, I don't even talk about that often, like, mm -hmm. because, you know, that's, that's the only time that I have ever, it's ever gotten that bad. But mm -hmm. I definitely have had people, you know, make multiple comments about my appearance, and I generally would tell them, please stop, you know, right. I think, have you ever had that happen to you and your... I unfortunately have, not, not to that extent, but I've had um, a former client who constantly messages me on social media sure. and, um, and he's always like, you know, so, and, and I, I've gotten to the point where I've blocked him on social media messaging because mm -hmm. he just wasn't getting the hint that either we'd, I'd be polite and say, you know, hi, hope you're doing well. If you need anything, contact the office. Um, but he would constantly, anytime the account was connected to social media, he was immediately messaging the account. And um, I, I felt uncomfortable. And luckily, by the time he was engaging in this behavior, you know, his, his case had closed. There, you know, there wasn't any reason why we would need to 
have ongoing contact. Um, but he just constantly messaged me and I just felt uncomfortable because it was all hours of the, the night or the day. I think the, the, and what prompted me to block him was because the most recent one was like at six in the morning. And I, I was like, this is not appropriate. You're not getting the hint. You're not understanding. And so I just, I blocked him from messaging me. Um, and I'm hopeful that that'll be the end of that. And it's not going to go any further, but um, I, it was one of those, I don't, you know, it's, it's very inappropriate, but I also try when I, uh, in my contracts, when a, a client is formalizing representation with me, I have it in my contract that they will be civil and that they will behave and that if they do not, that'll be a basis why I can uh, terminate representation hmm. um, because you just never know. And I've had colleagues, you know, share horror stories with me about different situations where, um, you know, it has escalated where clients or former clients, you know, become infatuated and it, it, they engage in some stalking behavior and things like that. And it, it can get very scary, I bet. Yeah, it really can. And that's what's hard. Like for us, the way our, like I like working in a big environment. Like I can't imagine like having my own private practice or something like that in like a small place where there's not a lot of people. But in our office, we also have like panic buttons. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have our own offices and everything. But like I said, I only really ever felt uncomfortable, like that uncomfortable with that patient. Um, and I'm glad that, like I said, I was just like, nope. <laughs> and I right, tell right. everybody, like, do not tell him where I'm going. That right. sort of thing. But you still sometimes feel a little bit. Um, I had another patient who was would just be kind of like over complimentary, like, oh, your husband's so lucky, that sort of thing. Um, but I don't know. I never really felt, it made me somewhat uncomfortable, but I never felt like unsafe. Mm -hmm. But, and I think that that's one of the things, like when I gave, I gave a, a lecture on microaggressions to our medical students once. And I was telling, I went on like this feminist rant about like how people should just stop telling women that they're pretty at work. Like we're at work, we're not there to be pretty. We're there to do our job, you know? <laughs> like like I'm, I dress up to look like I didn't roll out of bed, right? Like I don't dress up for people to compliment, for, to compliment me or comment on my parents. Like I right. present myself in the way that I want to present myself. And so one of the students, and I literally talked about, like, I, in that particular lecture, I was having the students um, write, like, things that they had experienced. Mm -hmm. And one of the students said that someone told her that she was pretty, and then when she went to listen to their heart, they tried to touch her breasts. And so mm -hmm. literally, that was on a screen, and I read it out in front of the whole class. But still, one of her classmates came up to me and said, well, sometimes when someone's trying to compliment you, you know, you may not want the compliment, but you just say, thank you. And I was just like, I think that there's a disconnect with men not understanding that it makes women feel uncomfortable and it makes us feel unsafe mm -hmm. because we have reason to be. Yeah. <laughs> there's a whole history of women not being treated correctly and appropriately and yeah. And I think that's why it's sometimes important for us as women to have these conversations because I think that even like I had a conversation with my sisters and they were commenting a lot on my appearance. And I was just like, that is making me uncomfortable that you're commenting on my appearance, even as a woman. Like I'm not, I didn't ask for these, for this commentary. Mm -hmm. And I also, it's just like, you have no idea what I deal with at work. And I think that sometimes a lot of women who don't, like we, we both work in kind of what is considered like male dominated fields. Mm -hmm. And so the experience that we have at work, we're there with a lot of men, and people are trying to really figure out like how do I how, how do I take this woman here in this space that I'm that you know historically women were not in mm -hmm. and so I think that they try to like you know be like oh you're a woman you're very pretty like I don't know if they think that that's what we want to hear but that's not what I want to hear you know right. <laughs> so you know it was kind of this disconnect where because the, the particular fields those two sisters are in mm -hmm. they they are in like women dominated fields where probably a lot of people comment on each other's appearance and it's fine, but I'm like, but there are times when people comment on my appearance and it makes me uncomfortable and it makes me feel unsafe. So I would prefer right. that you not talk about like my right. appearance or talking this way because I just, it makes me uncomfortable. 
Yeah. And, and I agree with you. Um, and I, I feel like in the professional setting, there should be no commentary as to our appearance or anything like that. Um, I, I mean, you made me think about, uh, there was a judge recently who came under fire and I think ultimately was suspended for a while. I don't know that he's completely off the bench. It wasn't here in Ohio, um, but uh, he had recently made similar commentary about a female attorney um, in his courtroom, um, I guess he, the, the, the microphone, uh, or the recording system was still on and it was being, uh, I think it was a zoom, um, hearing. So it was being aired through YouTube and, um, he made commentary about that attorney and about her appearance and about other things. And, um, you know, and it's surprising because, Nowadays, um, you know, there are more female attorneys and, uh, you know, we've been part of the profession for quite some time and it's still surprising that in 2022 that that is still, you know, that, that that's still happening. Right. But at least that person is potentially going to get fired because, you know, you think about even 15 or 20 years ago, people would have been brushed it off and said that was, that was fine. Right. Like who cares? Words are words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But, and that's what I think that those particular sisters were having a hard time with understanding, like, well, we just talking about this. And I'm just like, I was just would not like for you to talk about that because I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to live. Right. <laughs> it's not the conversation I want to have because there's other stuff I'm dealing with. You know what I mean? Did you ask about how I was doing my cancer treatment? Did you ask about, am I going to the doctor and stand on, stand on track with my checkups? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like, I, you know what I mean? It's just one of those things where I, I think that as women, a lot of it depends on what we're exposed to and just the experiences we have, but often people don't even ask us. Like they mm -hmm. don't ask, like, what kind of things do you deal with as a, as a woman physician? Do you deal with a lot of sexual harassment at work? Do you deal mm -hmm. with people commenting your body at work? You know, like mm -hmm. if you, if you've never consider asking somebody that question. And then when you do comment about their body and they react a certain way, I got really upset about it. And they were like, why are you so angry? And I'm like, because you don't know what the stuff I deal with all day, every day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, I'm just like, we can have, we can have different conversations instead of, you know, having to, you know what I mean? It's just one of those things. I know that as women, we have those conversations often, but for me, it's like, there's a time and a place to have those conversations. If somebody mm -hmm. brings it up themselves, it's one thing, but it's just not always appropriate, even at home for people to bring up your body. Like people talk about going home for Thanksgiving and mm -hmm. people like, oh, you gained a lot of weight and that sort of thing. And you're just like, you didn't ask how what I was going through. You didn't ask about my mental state. You didn't ask yeah. if I was depressed. You didn't ask if my husband was beating me. You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> there's so many things that could be happening. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. it. It's the same thing with the Latino culture. Same thing. Um, it's always right away comments on your appearance as soon as they see you. And yeah, and it, it, part of it, it's cultural. And I think that it'll eventually change um as you know the younger generation is more informed and you know as we grow up and influence our older uh family members but yeah it's very yeah. prevalent in the latino culture right and i think that it's just one of those things that a lot of older millennials are having this conversation even some of the younger millennials are not there i think part of it is because they're not working yet you know they don't mm -hmm. have careers and jobs that um that make you change your perspective. Cause I feel like for me, that's the biggest thing that's made me change that perspective and that communication. Mm -hmm. I, I've never really been that into my appearance in the first place. Like I was always more into books than I was into really my appearance for the most part, obviously in high school, like, you know, hormones and you're like, you wanna look <laughs> cute, that sort of thing. But beyond that, I've really never been that into my appearance anyway. Um, mm -hmm. So, but I think that I think that um, just for me being at work and having so many comments on my parents and having so much sexual harassment and all that sort of stuff, you just get tired of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. All right. Well, so I guess the biggest thing is uh, what other conversations do we have about safety for women? So we talked about times when people have commented about our parents and felt unsafe. So what, what things do you want women to know about like how to um, like um, what laws do we have in Ohio and what laws are there nationally 
that can help women uh, be protected? And so what kind of um, tips can you give? Yeah. So um, in Ohio, and it's also nationally, a lot of states have enacted uh, some variation of what is called Marcy's Law. Uh, so if uh, someone is a victim of a crime, you have certain rights um, that uh, you are entitled to. For example, you have the right to always be notified of all the court hearings uh, related to the crime for which you were a victim. Um, you have the right to make a statement, a victim impact statements to the court so that the court can take that into consideration upon sentencing. Uh, you have the right to talk to the prosecutor on the case uh, and let them know your desires for, um, for, for resolution and or, um, you know, uh, sentencing. Um, and so I think a lot of people don't know about it um, and don't know about Marcy's rights. And it, it actually came about because uh, there, uh, Marcy was a victim um, for a case and she was not notified um, that her perpetrator was being released and uh, ultimately uh, upon his release ended up, um, you know, going back, finding her and actually murdering her. Hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, there was a lot of movement around the country to, to enact that. Ohio, I think, enacted it maybe maybe about five years ago. I'd have to look at it exactly, but it, it you know, it's, it's fairly new in Ohio. Um, and because it's fairly new, um, it's taken a while for a lot of the courts to uh, enact it and make sure that they're following it and, and making sure that the victims have, um, are, you know, that if they invoke their rights, they can actually exercise them. Um, we also have like the protection orders. Uh, there's two different types of protection orders here in Ohio. There is a protection order when it's uh, uh, blood related. So a spouse or a fa family related um, situation where you need a protection order, those are granted on a five-year basis. And um, they are a not necessarily a little easier to come by, but um, you don't necessarily need to show a pattern of the behavior. And then we have the uh, civil protection orders um, and those are granted. So those, the other ones are for individuals where the individuals are strangers. So not blood related, no familial ties there. Mm -hmm. um, those are granted on a three-year basis, um, but those are a bit, uh, a bit harder to come by. And judges oftentimes are uh, cognizant of the fact that you're essentially restricting someone's rights to move about freely. You know, they're restricted. They can't come within 500 feet of the victim, their home, their place of employment. If they're at the same place, that individual must leave. And so um, uh, judges are a little bit um, more reluctant to grant those, but they, they, they do grant them. And, you know, that that is oftentimes an option available for people who are um, experiencing like stalking and um, those kinds of behaviors that make that person feel that they're in danger mm -hmm. and unsafe. Um, yeah. And then on the employment side, I mean, there's, I don't handle employment matters, but you know, there's a lot of safeguards there where you want to make sure that you um, report it to your supervisor. And um, there are, um, a lot of um, options available that if you do report it and nothing is happening, you can always move outside of the of, of the biz of the company or the business uh, and get more um, uh, get other organizations involved in terms of what's going on and depending on the type of organization that it is. Um, but there's you know a lot of safeguards there. Um, not something that you know depending in gun rights depending on if you're pro-guns and not, not pro-guns, I mean, depending on what what your viewpoints are there, some people use guns as a safety precaution and, you know, having, um, you know, taking your classes, um, um, you know, that kind of thing, making sure that you are well-informed about what you can and can't do, uh, that's always an option. But um, I always suggest, again, if something's happening that you report it, um, whether it's to your HR person or to law enforcement, because um, 
at least from my perspective, it's always looking at it from the courtroom perspective in terms of what can you prove? There is a lot of things that happen, um, but if there aren't any witnesses, there isn't any evidence as to what happened or what transpired, it comes down to you, your word against the other person's word. And it's sometimes hard. Yeah, no, that's good. So I really appreciate you being there for all of the people navigating all of these difficult times in their lives. Um, generally, people, you know, are having a hard time if they're coming to see you about going through divorce or custody agreements or protection orders. So I just appreciate how compassionate you are to be able to help people in their, you know, kind of some of the worst moments in their lives. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the um, the um, the confidence and the uh, the the work that they entail, right? The the work mm -hmm. that they give me because uh, it's it's not easy dealing with family matters. is it's it's definitely not easy, and um, and so I really do appreciate my clients for the trust that they put in me. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, I wish that, you know, I wish that at some point, maybe you wouldn't have to do so much hard things if people could learn how to love each other more, um, communicate better and figure out their marriages. And then also people wouldn't go around harassing and stalking women. That would be great yeah. as well. And murdering them also, because that's, that's the concern. You know, a lot of women are, are murdered by their ex-partners and um, unfortunately that's that's the society we live in and i hope that one day our society could be different and that wouldn't be a it wouldn't be so much of a reality and a concern mm -hmm. yeah i i agree with you uh, i would be out of a job but i i'd be i'd be happily out of out of a job retired uh, because yes i often say that too if you know people could learn to communicate a bit better express themselves you know, behave themselves, then there would be no need for me. And I'd yeah. be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, you would find you would find other lawyering to do. I'm, I'm yes. sure, you know, yes, I know yes. that <laughs> I know that you do help people with estate planning and all types of mm -hmm. other things. So you would still be, stay busy, but I'm happy that someone who understands all of these problems and can be compassionate in that can help navigate people through these difficult times. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Shama. I really do appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for coming um, and keep up the great work. And I want to just wish everyone a great self-love Saturday. And I want you to always remember that loving yourself is an act of rebellion. Self-love Saturday, help live with love. Self-love Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Self-love Saturday, help live with love. Self-love Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels.